The following Women's Spaces show was recorded on Monday, April 24th, 2023. The woman in your life will do what she must do To comfort you and calm you down And let you rest now The woman in your life, she can rest so easily She does everything you do Because the woman in your life is you Hello, everybody, and welcome to Women's Spaces. My name is Elaine B. Holtz, and I'm your host. With me at the board is my friend, my partner, my engineer, and co-producer, Ken Norton. Good morning, Ken. Good morning, Elaine. What a beautiful day it is here in Sonoma County. I'm very excited about today. Today is our Earth Day show. Uh, There was a celebration in downtown Santa Rosa uh, on Saturday, which was uh, very well attended. And I have a very, very special show. I'm very excited because Saturday, April 22nd, actually was Earth Day. And in honor of Earth Day, I have a special treat. Ken, is, uh, Ken who is a climate pioneer, and while at Sonoma's, uh, at San Jose State College, he, along with other students, uh, buried a new 1970 Ford Ma- Maverick on the campus cafeteria building Uh, front lawn on February 20th, 1970 in San Jose, California. The event was part of a week-long survival fair at the school focusing attention on environmental problems. He will be telling us about the event that happened that day. Just think about this. It was 53 years ago, over half a century ago, that Ken participated in this. It's, it's, just, it's just amazing. And you know, a little bit of history here. Earth Day honors Rachel Carson, a woman who changed America and influenced the environmental movement with her revelationary book, Silent Spring. Uh, Silent Spring is an environmental science book by Rachel Carson. Uh, the book was published, if you can believe this, on, in September of 1962, two years before my daughter was born, documenting the adverse environmental effects caused by the indiscriminate use of pesticides. We're still fighting trying to get rid of Roundup. It's It's just amazing. Uh, The theme for this year's Earth Day 2023 is invest in our planet. Uh, Really, I'm really looking forward to hearing Ken's story. Also joining me on the phone will be Myra... Uh, Kosla, a member and spokesperson for Sonoma County Climate Activist Network, SoCan of Can, like as I said, SoCan of Sonoma County. Uh, Kosla is a biologist and writer focusing on forest biodiversity and fire safe practices. She is the winner of the 2023 Fund for Wild Nature uh, Grassroots Activism Award and co co-winner of the Environmentalist of the Year Award uh, from 2020 in Sonoma County Conservation Council uh, gives that award, which is, which is really, really very interesting. A very, very well, uh, well-seen as a woman who knows a lot about uh, diversity and the environment and climate change, and I know we're going to have a very interesting conversation. Well, this is actually the last month uh, the last month, the last day of the month. And can you believe that? I mean, where did April go? I mean, it's kind of, I'm all shook up. I can't believe we're going into May already. And we will be doing, uh, we will be doing the Women's Spaces Pledge as we do the last Monday of the month. 
Uh, also, I want to say happy birthday to my dear mother-in-law, Mary Norton, who turns 97 today. Happy birthday, Mom. We love you. Want to say anything to your mom, Ken? Happy birthday, Mom. My goodness, 97 years old, strong. And it's really interesting. Uh, she has a sister, our Aunt Joan, who just turned 99. We wish her a happy birthday, but I'm still I'm still in shock. I mean, it's amazing that these women have this longevity, and Ken is so lucky to have such a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful mother. Well, also on Friday, April 28th, is my daughter Susan Jensen's uh, birthday. Uh, my goodness, I can't believe it. It's been over half a century ago that I gave birth to this wonderful, wonderful daughter. And I want to just say happy birthday to her, happy birthday to mom. You know, two Tauruses, I'm telling you. They're, they're tw- the 24th is, is uh, uh, my mother-in-law, and the 28th is Susan. And I'll tell you, they're like two peas in a pod. It's just amazing. Tauruses have a, a certain day over you. Well, also, like I mentioned, I attended the celebration in downtown Santa Rosa for Earth Day. And, you know, it really was interesting. (laughs) I have to question, I mean, how far have we really come when you start thinking about it? I mean, we're still struggling, and we've had more disasters in the past decade than I can remember growing up. And it's still a problem. It's still an issue. And there's still so much denial going on that it's, it's really frustrating, really frustrating. Well, like we do, excuse me, <coughs> like we do every uh, every month, every excuse me, every Monday, we do a little bit of our history of our strength. And I thought it was really interesting to just bring this up. Uh, on April 28th, uh, 1993, was the first Take Our Daughters to Work Day, sponsored by Miss Foundation in 2003. It became Take Our Daughters and Sons to Work Day, so it's constantly, constantly changing. Also, now it's known as Take Your Child to Work Day. Take Our Daughters and Sons to Work Day is uh, on April 27th this year. Uh, The job shadowing day is intended to give children a glimpse into the working world through the guidance of their parents. So it's really very interesting. So, so I just encourage folks: if you have a daughter or son out there, take them to work. Show them, show them exactly what you do. And then on April 27th, happy birthday, and she made her transition in 1993. Is Alice Dugenheimer. And she was the first African-American journalist accredited to cover Congress in 1947. Wow, 1947, that's a real achievement. And the White House, Supreme Court, and State Department. And she documented Klan actions with no white news, which no white newspapers would cover. Well, that, that's just the way it is. You know, she was the first journalist of color to travel with President Truman on his train in 1948 but had to pay her own way. Boy, that sure changed in today's today's uh, way of thinking. She was appointed to the staff of the President's Committee, Equal Employment Opportunity, for, in 1961. And I got to tell you, what, uh, what an amazing woman she was. So happy birthday, Alice Duganen. And then... As I announce every year, I have to announce his happy, happy birthday. Uh, She was born April 20th, 1927, and made her transition in 2006, and that's Coretta Scott King, civil rights, human rights, and peace activist, and, of course, the beautiful wife of Dr. Martin Luther King. When I think of Coretta Scott, I think of that day when she found out her husband was shot, and I think of all the amazing things that she did. So happy birthday. I'm glad to acknowledge her and to remember her every year. Coretta Scott King. Wow. Born in 1927. 
excuse me, excuse me, yes, 1927, on April 27th. Well, another Taurus, now I understand. I mean, when I think of Coretta Scott King and I think of my daughter and I think of my mother-in-law, it's, uh, it's amazing. Tauruses have a tenacity about them that they're going to move forward no matter what. Well, now we're going to take a few moments and we're going to do the Women's Spaces Pledge, you know, which I try to do the last Monday of the month, which is today. Like I said before, I'm just amazed that, that April has gone by as quickly as it has gone by. So, Ken, do you mind joining me in the pledge? Sure. Okay, so I'm going to say it and then, then you repeat after me. So here we go. This is a Women's Spaces Pledge. Are you ready? My self-esteem. My self-esteem. Does not depend. Does not depend. On anything. On anything. Outside of me. Outside of me. My self-esteem. My self-esteem. Depends. Depends. On my relationship. On my relationship. With myself. With myself. And my higher power. And my higher power. You know, folks, I read that three times before I come in the air just to remind me that my self-esteem does not depend on anything outside of me. Like if I make a mistake, it's okay. You know, if I, if I stumble over a word, I'm not going to beat myself over it. So let's do it together, Ken. Let's just do it one time. And, you know, folks out there, do it with us. You know, if you're in a car... You know, just don't don't relax too much, but just listen to what we're saying. If you're in your home, find yourself a comfortable seat and just just think about what we're saying. And we're going to say it together. So let's say it together, Ken. One, two, three. My, My self-esteem does, does not, not depend, depend on, on anything outside of me. me. My self-esteem depends, depends on my relationship with myself and my higher power. Wow, that just gives me a chill when I think about it. You know, and it's so important, you know, especially for women to be able to stand up and not worry. You know, it's, it's really it's really interesting. I, I turned on to YouTube the other night, and they had this thing about the 1950s and 1960s and the dress codes. And I swear to God, I remember I went to Fairfax High School, and everybody was wearing uh, lands dresses. And I told my mother I had to have a lands dress. So we went down to the shop to get this dress. And when I tried it on, it just, I looked like a fat frump, even though I wasn't fat. But I never, I didn't have a curvy body. And it really, it haunted me for years and years that my whole self-esteem depended on whether I could get into that lands dress and how my hair looked. And when I think about all the years that you one waste just worrying about all that stuff you know when you get to be my age you realize what a waste of time you know your self-esteem does not depend on what think people think of you your self-esteem really depends on what you think of yourself and you are your own best friend you know what I realized you know when I had my 83rd birthday I said to myself you know you have lived with yourself for 83 years I'm the longest person I know you know, so it's very important that we look at that. So I'm just going to say this one more time. I'm going to say it very slowly. Just take it in. Take it in for yourself. And if folks want a copy of it, go on to the website, uh, www.womensbases.com, and just hit copy and then go to your word and hit paste, and you'll have a copy for yourself. Or if you want to make a donation to the station, just make sure you make you say it's to uh, for women's spaces, and I'll make sure that you get a card. I've talked to Alicia about that, and I've I've left her some cards. So you know, there's all kinds of ways that we can work on self-esteem, but the most important thing is. In order to stand up and be heard and have a voice, you have to feel good about yourself. You have to know you have a right to be here. 
you know, we have these heroes, you know, I see, see people, the same people over and over and over again. So we have, need to have new, more and more voices, new voices, more excited voices, people speaking out for the future of our children to save our planet. I mean, our planet is in such peril. I mean, when you start thinking about it, I got up this morning and I just felt like, God, you know, what's going on in this world? You know, why can't we learn to live together and love together and just be friends together? Well, that's a lot to think about. So now we're going to take a musical break, and I'm really excited about this. And the song that I'm going to be playing is What on Earth, sung by Earth Mama. As a reminder, we all need to question what is happening and find out what each of us can do and or support. And when we return, Ken Norton will be telling us uh, his pre-Earth Day experience at San Jose State, where they called it the survival prayer, where they buried a car in 1970. So let's go ahead, Ken. Let's play What on Earth by Earth Mama. <laughs> Thank you. 
what a big question. What on earth are we doing today for tomorrow? A big question. And many of us, you know, I was looking at the, I have a thing, uh, who are we at Sonoma County? I was looking at some of the things that we've done for climate change. It's amazing how many groups have come together and have done so many fabulous things. I want to do a shout out to our city council and all, all of our cities and also to our Sonoma County Board of Supervisors. I'm, I'm really impressed when I look at this list and I can't wait till we get on the next half of the show when we talk with Mara about all this. Well, welcome back. You're listening to Women's Spaces and I'm your host, Elaine B. Holtz. And to begin with, I'm going to have uh, Ken Norton, co-producer of Women's Spaces, to tell us his Earth Day story as he was one of the students that buried a car at San Jose State University in February 20. Uh, February 20th, uh, 1970. And I, I love hearing this story. And just a little bit about Ken. Ken is a very educated man. He has a master's degree in engineering from uh, from uh, Stanford University. Also, what you got your engineering degree also from uh, San Jose State also. Yes. Well, let's start, you know, just a little history. Uh, Earth Day 2023, the theme for Earth Day is invest in our planet. Earth Day, which was celebrated in Santa Rosa on Saturday, which focused on uh, accelerating solutions to combat uh, the greatest threat, and that is of of uh, uh, climate change. Governments and citizens and businesses all need to come together to do their part. And like that song said, what on earth are we doing today for tomorrow? So let's start, Ken. Ken, give us a little background. Uh, What what was the motivation of that time here in 1970? You know, what was the talk about the the environment? You were were getting your engineering degree at that time. Also, what type of car did they bury? And how did they get the monies? How were they raised? And just talk a little bit about the event. Okay, I'm, I'm going to emerge from the uh, <clears throat> silent function of putting on this show and I'll be speaking here. Uh, <clears throat> the motivation for me first was I drove up to San Jose State from Los Angeles to study there and I left a city full of smog. My eyes were red every day. I could hardly breathe. So I was very glad to go up to San Jose, which was still had cleaner air at the time. And it was actually called the, uh, the instead of Silicon Valley, it was the prune capital of the world. <laughs> so there's a lot of changes that happened in, in uh, the 60s and 70s there to make it Silicon Valley. But here in 1970, we had a, it was a pretty momentous year. It was during the Vietnam War and... Uh, I was in the anti-war movement. I had a, a draft card in my pocket um, until the the lotto happened in December of '69, um, and uh, I had a high enough number, so I didn't worry about the draft anymore. But I was still concerned about the war for my friends who had lower numbers too. So <clears throat> Earth Day was an idea that sprang out of uh, a philosophy class and <clears throat> it was a class that uh, uh, Professor Sterling had and he so t- turned out to be the founder of the Phoenix uh, University later on. I didn't know that <laughs> at the time but that a call was put out to the students to invest in this car. They were going to bury a, a Dodge muscle car so we raised money as students and each bought shares. And, well, we couldn't afford the Dodge muscle car, but we could afford 
a Ford Maverick. <laughs> um, it was actually probably got better gas mileage than the Dodge they were going to bury. So we, we had a ceremonial parade from the Ford dealership all the way to the San Jose State campus. And there between the engineering building where I was studying for my engineering degrees and the uh, uh, administration building, there was a spot that was dug out and they ceremoniously lowered the Maverick into the pit. And we were all standing around that, cheering it on, and uh, began to bury it. There's actually a photograph of myself that a San Francisco Chronicle reporter had photographed, and we'll include it on the on the website yeah, it'll be for this show's www.womenspaces.com. So we'll include that photograph, and there'll be a little circle around little me at the time, and <clears throat> it wasn't just about the the car was representing. We wanted a change. We wanted a change from just the same old car and use of lots of gasoline and it was causing this pollution of our environment. And we also had some other, you know, considerations, you know, for the environment with the pesticides use. But the main thing that we were concerned with with this car was just say, hey, we, wanted, we, want, we need a change happening here and it needs to happen quickly. We were able to get the attention of the New York Times. They printed an article on it, and the San Francisco Chronicle did too. They pulled a reporter off of the Zodiac killer case just to cover our, our little survival fair. And <clears throat> this was two months before the first Earth Day. The first Earth Day was on April 22, 1970, and our survival fair was on February 20th, 1970. It's just to show you that it wasn't a top-down thing. Oh, we're going to create an Earth Day and you know, all Americans will come on board. No, this was deep within the, at least the students and probably academia that there was a problem. Rachel Carson had written her book, Silent Spring, so we were ready to make a change. What, what do you think gave everybody the confidence to do that? I mean, what was, what was the feeling at oh, that time? Oh, well, we were, we were questioning authority in all kinds of ways. The, the Vietnam War really shattered our um, image of America as the greatest on earth. And <clears throat> then this, in the environmental issue, we said, hey, you know, we have to stop praising ourselves and just resting on our laurels We've got to work with the rest of the world in solving a world problem. And that was 53 years ago, and we're still trying to solve the world problem. There's still deniers and all this. And what's so interesting is we finally had an electric car. Even during that time, they actually got rid of all the electric cars. I mean, it was almost like some people wanted to move forward, and some people just wanted to hold on to the status quo. Yeah, they've had an idea of an electric car for decades. Well, you know, here we are in another generation. You know, there's a lot of young groups. You know, I don't remember we interviewed the Sunrise uh, organization. They were young people and how articulate they are. You know, when you look back on your time, what, what, what kind of, when you, when you think maybe a student might listening to you out there, what, what do you think, what kind of advice would you give them? And, and how, did you, how, do you, how do you work with this disappointment, you know, being 53 years ago? And here we're still struggling with the same garbage. 
you know, we have over, we have 350 million people in the United States. We have over, what is it, 8 billion now in the world. I mean, managing <laughs> this large of a, of a species with so many individual bodies, <laughs> people on it, it's a very difficult thing. So I never think thought of, of it that way. You got to think it's going to be a, a long haul. We can put out our voice, and we hope to encourage others, and they put out their voice, and they encourage others, and we, we hope that this has an avalanche effect that, that will create a change that we want. But, you know, whoever has the mic, whoever has the media, you know, they're producing an awful loud voice, and that's always going to be there, and we just got to keep on keeping on. Well, that's some good advice. Keep on keeping on. And I, actually, you know, when you look at the show, Women's Spaces, the whole idea is to get women to get involved. After all, we bring forward the children and we need a good environment. And it's interesting when you when you were talking about, you know, the Native Americans think in terms of seven generations. You know, this culture seems to only think in terms of the next dollar. And I think that's where that's where we're having a lot of our problems. Well, you know, thank you so much for sharing that, you know, and, and also to, just to remind people that there isn't, there was an article in the New York Times and also a picture we have of, of Ken. We have it in two places. We have it on our website, www.womenspaces.com, and we also have it at Sonoma County uh, Now. Uh, also has it on their website so we have it on two websites so so folks can read the article and they can see you know and it, it just gives you some ideas as, as students what students can do coming together after all it's your future you know what are we doing today to assure tomorrow you know the young people have to stand up just like we stood up during our time well I can tell you that on on Saturday on earth on Earth Day I uh, at my hands in the soil. I still got dirt underneath my fingernails and putting our, our plants, our flowers, and our vegetables in. So um, I did some earthing that way. <laughs> it's just like our, like our, our my sister-in-law, Valerie Renera, will say, get in touch with the earth. It's the most healing thing possible. Well, we're just about coming to the end of our segment, uh, Ken, and we're going to play another song before we bring our, our guest on. But just talk just a few seconds about you have a website, Sense of Life. You know, can you tell folks a little bit about it and how they can access it? Well, for a time, I put out some five-minute um, vignettes for a radio, a radio show, and that show has, has, has stopped. So uh, I'm not doing it at the moment, but I have them archived on my website, kennethynorton.com, and look under the Scent of Light tab because that was a series. It was called The Scent of Light. So um, Very motivational talks. Yeah. Take a, take a visit and let me know how you like it. Well, Ken, thank you so much for filling in and telling us the story about uh, the first action taken by students who address climate change and environment. Uh, environmental issue and in 1970 I mean I can't believe it's that many years I know in August I will be celebrating 50 years ago since I moved up to Sonoma County here it is 52 years ago I think folks uh, folks how far we have progressed if leadership in this country would have paid more attention to hear the young folks in 1970, and they're still not listening to the young people. I remember with Diane Feinstein when she was telling the young people came to visit her, she says, well, I've been on the Senate or wherever she's been for 30 years. I know what to do. And one of the young people said, well, how come we're still in the same problem? 
amazing. So thank you so much. Well, we're going to take in a musical break now. And, uh, and uh, the song I'm going to play, because we're going to be talking about trees and diversity and all that other good stuff, is uh, Trees, a poem written by Joyce, Kil Joyce Kilmer. Actually, Joyce Kilmer is a man, and it's called Trees. It's a lyric poem by the American poet Joyce Kilmer, written in February of 1913. It was first published in Poetry, a magazine of verse that in August, and included Kilmer's 1914 collection of trees and other poems. The poem in 12 lines of rhyming couplets of uh, a, a meter describes what Kilmer perceives as the inability of art created by the humankind to duplicate the beauty achieved by nature. What a great message that we need to listen to. And believe it or not, this recording that I found was by Patty Page, performed rare in a live version of this uh, particular song in 1958 on the show, Big Record Show, introduced guest star Woody Herman. So we're, go ahead, Ken, let's go ahead and play this. When I return, uh, joining me on the phone will be Mara Colsa, a member and spokesperson for Sonoma County Climate Activist Network. Well, I'd like to add that this was the first poem that I learned as a elementary school student. Here we go. I think that I shall never see a poem lovely as a tree. A tree whose hungry mouth is pressed against the earth's sweet flowing breath. A tree that looks at God all day and lives her
God bless all those beautiful, beautiful trees. Well, welcome back. You're listening to Women's Spaces, and I'm your host, Elaine B. Holtz. And without further ado, I want to introduce my guest. Joining me on the phone is Mara Kosla, a member and spokesperson for Sonoma County Climate Action Activist Network. Welcome, Mara. Welcome to Women's Spaces. Thank you so much for hosting hosting and for having me, Elaine. Oh, I'm so happy to have you to have this conversation. Before we begin, I'd like to tell folks just a little about about you. Is that okay? Sure. Uh, Myra Kosla is a biologist and writer focusing on forest biodiversity and fire safe practices. I hope you enjoyed that song, uh, Trees, Myra. She is the winner of the 2023 uh, Fund for Wild Nature Grassroots Activist Award for 2023 and was co-winner of the Environmentalist of the Year Award from 2020, and it was given by Sonoma County Conservation Council. Uh, Myra has served as a Sonoma County Poet Laureate uh, 2018 to 2020 and brought Sonoma County's communities together to heal through gatherings, field walks, and shared writing after the recent wildfires. Her books include All the Fires of Wind and Light, written in 2020, and uh, uh, 16 Rivers uh, Press, I guess, put that on. Also, Keel Bone, that sounds in. What is Keel Bone, Mara? Oh, it's like a V-shaped bone of the chest of a bird, and it's sort of an indicator of it's the bird's health. And then she wrote another, oh, you, it, it looks like you got a, a poetry prize, and you also wrote The Web of Rotter, uh, Life in Redwood Creek. Is there anything else that you would like to uh, mention, Mara? Oh, plenty to mention on, you know, what Soko Can is up to, but that's a wonderful introduction. Thank you so much. Uh, did, you, did you hear the first part of the show? I'm just curious. Yes. Yeah, so we've told this story about him and when he went to uh, San Jose State. Well, listen, uh, welcome once again. And to begin, talk about how you first got involved in the environmental movement and who were some of your heroes and inspiration? Oh, it, I first got involved in with environmental studies, actually, first, uh, toxicology to be specific, and at the graduate uh, program level. And I was deeply inspired by people like uh, Rachel Carson, more recently, you know, sort of our women heroes, uh, Dr. Bev Law, Dr. Monica Bond, Dr. Shea Wolf, um, contemporaries who are really fighting for a better world and, and mitigating for the climate change impact. Well, that's quite that's quite a bit, you know. I mean, you've you've done some amazing work, you know. And then the next question I have for you is to talk a little bit about the uh, Sonoma County Climate Activist Network, and it's very interesting. Um, the purpose, uh, very interesting. The purpose that you write in, in your on your website is to unite local groups and concerned citizens so they can meet the new decade with a clear vision of action and address the social, political, and environmental challenges of our time. So, talk a little bit about this. Give us a bit of history and its mission and and how and how you're fending right now. And I believe you're going to have some sort of uh, gathering some at, at very close to this time. Oh, uh, yeah. The, so the Sonoma County um, Climate Activist Network is, uh, it's SoCoCan for short, um, at www.sonomacountycan.org, is a network of over 50 organizations and over 200 individuals. So it's open to organizations who are concerned with climate change and working on it actively one way or another. Very, very diverse group. 
and also open to individuals. And it's been it's been working for uh, well over three years now, and gathers together on issues such as um, you know the No Gas Coalition, um, Bicycle Coalition, uh, issues of biking related to biking to work, and then uh, all the way to sort of um, forest diversity, um, forest issues conservation issues, and, of course, bioenergy being one of the latest sort of um, non-renewable energies that's being called renewable energy that's sort of surfacing on the horizon. Well, you know, I want to do a shout-out to Woody Hastings. I remember when he first called me talking about, you know, the gas stations, and I just read that in Petaluma they actually passed an ordinance that they're not going to have any new gas stations. So that's congratulations. Amazing, amazing work. I remember when he first started telling me about it, I thought, oh, my goodness, I wonder how they're going to do that. But they did it, and so congratulations to you. So it, as, far as, the, as far as the Climate Activist Network, so it's a group of many, many organizations because I looked at, I looked at uh, the list of things that, that you have accomplished. It's just amazing. What, what, do you, what are some of the challenges that you have? And I know we're going to talk about forest conservation, but what, what are some of the challenges that you've had to overcome just to get some of, these, some of this legislation passed, just in our county alone? And I know you're also working with Sacramento folks. Yeah, yeah. So some of the challenges are that people are um, aware that we need to really work hard for, for to support our forests. And people are aware of wildfires. They see wildfires on the screen. They look big. They look tall because they're reaching to the top of the trees. And so that awareness is there. The problem is that the awareness um, is focused on assuming that what the government says or agencies say and sort of a lot of scientists connected with the industry and agencies, they all say that there's just too many trees. So taking out trees, including really large, mature trees and sometimes even old-growth trees. I've seen one project in Mendocino County focusing primarily all the marked trees marked for cutting was were old growth trees in this one stand. And so nobody sees that. And so without that documentation in front of them, they're really assuming that what's happening when forest thinning projects or forest health projects go through is twigs and shrubs and small ladder fuels that would carry the flames up to the tops of the trees are what's the focus. Nobody, well, few people realize unless they're out in the field that it's actually that the focus is the largest trees for the most part and the largest woody material the largest fallen logs the largest snags and that's where the wildlife is that's what everything depends on soil uh, depends soil health water quality um, mycorrhizal you know that underground internet that trees have mycorrhizal fungal interactions all of those depend on large trees and this diversity that's found in forests. So that's actually one of the things that we're, I would say, we're in the process of overcoming, not just as SoCo can, but as, as a state, as individuals, as young people. We're trying to overcome that by inviting people out in the field. Just come take a look at this area where all the big trees were removed. And if, when a fire went through, 
it just whipped through that area because all you see are these tiny little teenager trees, tiny little spindly trees that get, you know, crisped by a wildfire. So that's what I think one of the challenges. And the other one, of course, is biomass energy being called renewable. Let, let me ask you a question uh, just from your because when I look at your resume and I see the books you've written and the activism that you participated in, I mean, it's just amazing. I mean, thank you so much for all you're doing. I mean, oftentimes these unsung heroes, I would think you're an unsung hero because I had no idea all this was going on with your organization. But what what do you think? You know, when I, I mean, I listen to the television, I listen to radio, I listen to all the issues around climate change. I mean, I see destruction this year. I mean, you know, I, mean I saw destruction this year beyond the pale. I mean, they're talking about tornadoes and flooding. I mean, they just had, they're having major floods in Florida right now, and, and their governor is one of the biggest deniers around. And the, the question that I have to ask, what, what do you think is, what is the resistance? What, what, what kind of resistance do you get? What is, what is the, what is the, why are people resisting this so much? I mean, I think in the West, the resistance is somewhat understandable because we have some misinformation about what's really happening around wildfires. You know, there is this idea that, you know, when you when you trim and slim a forest, the fuels are gone and so there'll be less of a fire. It's not really, that's not quite how it works because that's how a fire can actually move much faster depending on how it's done. So it's, you know, um, it's, it's, it's really understandable. I mean, I don't understand the Florida story you were talking about. That seems really extreme. But in California, too, you know, we're, there's this fear. There's just this fear. we got to do everything. And, of course, everybody um, understands the defensible space law, which is like around 100 feet of your home. If you do enough clearing and have good defensible space plus a nicely hardened home, the chances of the home surviving a wildfire are you know, like increment, I mean, it's just increased. Actually, I said incremental, but it's really increased. I've actually um, seen homes survive fire once that clearing has been done. I've heard stories about people who've um, hardened their homes. They've got the metal roof. They've got a little bit of irrigation, not much, just a little irrigation around the home. And boom, it's it stays standing after a fire. So I'm trying to document these success stories because there's just so much fear. And I think fear really drives us because we just think, oh, we got to tame those forests. We just, they're wild. They're, they're just going up in flames. And what's really happening is what we're seeing on the ground is those thinned forests are actually carrying a lot of the flames because there's just so many of them right now. They're all over the place. And they're like skinny little trees that burn up real fast. So we, we, the conversation we're going to have is talking about forest conservation. You know, why, you know, you're talking about the trees, you're talking about replacement, you're talking about, you know, protecting your home. Why is forest conversa- conservation work so important? And, and what, what are you doing as far as uh, trying to get the message out and trying to educate people? Um, so I think the number one part of forest conservation that's so important goes back to one of the people I so admire, um, Dr. Bev Law, which is that the older trees actually sequester the most carbon. They're the bang for the buck for climate change. They're the ones that are holding it all, holding the fort down, quite literally, holding that carbon fort down because they are capable of quietly doing their job, just 
taking up more carbon and storing it up, sucking it away, storing it up. And that's one of the most important things. And I I just also want to say I thank you for giving me so much credit, but there is such a huge team um, at SoCoCan and way beyond SoCoCan, some of the names I mentioned, who who are working on, on these works, and they're doing incredible work. So um, yeah, I just wanted to give them some credit too. <laughs> well, that's it's important. It's important to acknowledge people. I think I think that I think the people are always ahead of the government. I mean, it's, it's just it's just always been it's just always been that way for some for some for some reason. Well, it's interesting when you talk about forest com- uh, conservation and then you talk about biomass energy. And what what is by what do you mean by biomass energy and what's happening in California around this and why is this also important to look at? So biomass energy is it has a nice ring to it sadly. Um it's turning biological materials like um sometimes even animal waste, plant waste, agricultural waste um year to year from crops. Um actually sadly along with the wires that sort of tie those crops together to the vines, etc. It's all part of something that gets burned at, a, at the stacks in, for, for electricity generation. But the new trend is to simply call forests unhealthy, worthy of clearing, that that's the only way to save the forests and then plant tiny trees in place of the big trees and um, burning those forests up in bioenergy facilities. And there's so many, so many trees. Um, they're talking about millions and millions of trees being removed. That that's actually feeding the bioenergy industry a lot. And it's quite literally treating trees like coal. Uh, there's a film called Burned, Our Trees, the New Coal. It's except that burning trees up and burning woody material up from forests is way more inefficient because it takes about one times, 0.5 times or 1.4 times the amount of energy to, excuse me, it, it generates, it, it takes 1.5 times more of that material to generate the same amount of electricity you would get out of coal. So basically, it's not at all efficient to burn wood and It's very, very polluting. There's... Um, Benzene's generated, there's dioxins, which are all highly carcinogenic, so people downwind get really sick. And it's not just lung diseases from smoke, it's, it's cancer. It's, this is serious stuff. People have complained, uh, very little has been done about it. They talk about putting scrubbers in the, in the stacks to clean up the material as it's going out into the atmosphere for people to breathe. But Think about those scrubbers and what the scrubbers contain and where do the scrubbers go? So we're still dealing with the release of this massive amount of poison. And I don't think those scrubbers are that inefficient, but there's not much measurement going on out out there of how much of this cancer-causing material that can't really be smelled is being released and people are being exposed to it. Well, you know, it's interesting when you say that, you know, and I think I think of Roundup, you know, it's been years trying to get Roundup 
Roundup off the market, you know, and then you think about what you're talking about. I mean, we're talking about forests and the way we, we treat our trees and the way we burn and all the different things. It really, it really gives me the chills when I think about it. I mean, how serious it is and how little you hear about it. So what, what are some of the environmental and direct uh, climate change? Uh, what are you, what are you folks doing about this uh, to help educate as well as let people know about the impact? So Sonoma County Climate Activists Network produced a little sort of a pamphlet um, teaming together with several folks, including Jenny Blaker and um, Emerald and others, um, Christine Hooks. And it's got, you know, there's a QR code for it in case someone wants to scan it to put it on their phone and, and check it out. It's got a lot of material that just, it sort of condenses all this information about car- the truth about carbon, wildfire, and biodiversity, um, lectures um, and studies by Dr. Bill Moumont and Dr. Bev Law, who I mentioned earlier, um, the actual the film Burned Our Trees and Use Coal, which just sort of points it all out and encapsulates it beautifully. And, and actually, I shouldn't forget, the Center for Biological Diversity has a forest bioenergy briefing book that you can, you, you just click on the link and you get the PDF. And it's just talking about the level of pollution, the fact that it's not carbon neutral, and the fact that, no, it's not renewable. We need to revisit what the state and what the federal agencies define as renewable because burning up trees is not renewable. Can, can I show you, can you, is there any possibility you could send us a PDF of that brochure? We could put it on our website or any of the information. What we'd like to do is anything that you're involved with. When we do an interview, we put a little explanation about you, and if you'd like to send that pamphlet, we'd really appreciate it. And that that's another way to get people out there educated. I mean, it seems like every more and more of us have to be educated about what's going on. So what forces are pushing for more uh, forests? Extraction. I mean, what 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 agencies or what what ideas are out there? Well, I would say most of the agencies are pushing for the extraction in several ways. Um, the first way is to say, well, if we don't take it out, it's going to burn in a wildfire. But of course, that's mathematically incorrect because when it's burned at the stacks, everything is gone. I mean, the last branch and the last twig is vaporized in smokestacks, whereas when something burns in a forest, the larger trees, it's less than 2% of them are, they're, they're intact, they're solid wood underneath the charcoal that you see in, you know, in after fire photos in the media. So the idea that these trees are just vaporized by wildfire is simply fiction. And in fact, if they were, then what would people be, why would people be salvage logging them? So that's one area. And then there's a really heavy industrial interest, especially because if it's being called renewable and green, then it's free. It's a free-for-all. There's funding to actually extract the forests, and, and it's, it's not being provided by any industries. It's being provided by state and federal agencies. So there's just different levels of problem. And I think one of the main things is to just sort of account for things that don't happen, like say that, oh, the entire forest is going to burn up in a wildfire if we don't take it out. That's completely wrong. And to say, well, it never grows back. Well, it does. I mean, we've been documenting this and many scientists, there's a 2023 um, publication just came out 
about all the incredible biodiversity after fire. And it keeps happening. We keep seeing more and more beautiful literature in the scientific literature, more and more amazing documentations. Right now, by the way, um, Dr. Doug Bevington just uh, wrote about um, the Young Museum has a wonderful exhibition, photography exhibition devoted to work by, forget her uh, first name, last name is McPhee, and um, her work on the beauty and regeneration capacity of post-fire forests and this, this darkness that you see that quickly gets covered with beautiful layers of vegetation and all of it is sequestering carbon. You know, I don't know if you can answer this question or not, but I'm going to throw it out because it, I'm just curious. Do you think that if they if they used more, grew more hemp to use rather than having to deal with trees, that it would be safer for the environment? Um, more what I'm so sorry. Can more you hemp, you know, growing hemp and using, you know, for paper and stuff like that, rather than using the forests and the trees. Oh, I see. Um, yes, I'm sure. I mean, the small that's you know, farmed material is so much more. It's so much better. I think the the main issue with biomass energy is that. It's not being used for anything except just pure burning. Uh, it's not being. It's not creating any paper or lumber. It's just going straight to the oh. stack and 100% burned, or it's turned into pellets, which are then transported out of the country and then burned, which is probably worse. <laughs> oh, it's amazing. Well, we're coming to the end of the segment, and if you have any last words and a website, how they can get a hold of you, and anything anything you'd like to say, anything that's on your heart. Thank you so much for, for hosting and for your excellent questions. Um, Sonoma County Climate Activist Network can be reached at uh, www.sonomacountycan.org, O-R-G, and um, Anyone can, individuals, as I said earlier, can be members if they are curious and would like to know more and do more about climate change. And I will definitely send the little pamphlet that was uh, co-created by several folks in Sonoma County. And I understand, uh, I understand my dear friend Emerald, I got an email from her this morning. Uh, she also is part of the, or she's sending out all the newsletters and information, am I correct? Yes, she sends off phenomenal newsletters encapsulating a lot of information you otherwise wouldn't see. It's, it's, it's amazing. Well, I want to do a shout-out for her. If you're listening, Emerald, I told her how to, how to, how to, uh, how to you know, stream this. I want to give her a shout-out because she's really a very, very dedicated person, and I want to thank her. And I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for being on Women's Spaces. I know you're out of town. And thank you for all this wonderful information, and I look forward to having that pamphlet and putting it on our website. Thanks so much, Elaine. Oh, my pleasure, Mara. And to my listeners out there, you know, it, it's so important. People, you know, last week we played the song by Patti Smith, People Have the Power. When we come together and we educate ourselves, we listen to groups like this and we, we educate ourselves and participate. You know, if you can't participate, I always say there's several ways you can. Number one, of course, you can speak out, educate your family about what's going on. If you can't go to meetings or do anything like that, make donations. Uh, uh, write letters to the editor. You know, get to know, get to know your environment. 
environmentalists in the in the area to see how you can support them and how you can you know how you can uh, help to uh, help them achieve what they're trying to achieve and, and I, I tell you when it was so interesting when I was reading when I was reading all the information on the uh, Sonoma County Climate Activist Network I was just amazed at all that they've accomplished well, you've been listening to Women's Spaces, and I'm your host, Elaine B. Holtz. And like I do every week, I remind you, our children are the future, and we must never lose sight of that. You know, I love the Native American thought when they say plan for seven generations. We only plan from one dollar to the next. You know, we don't think about what the future holds for our children. And I think of all this 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 rigmarole that's going on around abortion, around the abortion pill and everything. Why not? What are you focusing on that when you should be focusing on ending wars, you know, climate change, uh, hunger? There's so many things to focus on before we even think about bringing more children into this world. And and like I believe, how many people did you say are on the planet? Billions of people right now. I mean, <laughs> it's just amazing. Anyway, remember our children are the future. We must never lose sight of that. And also Women's Spaces will be played tonight at 11 o'clock. And I want to thank you so much for listening. This is Elaine B. Holtz. You've been listening to Women's Spaces. And I look forward to being with you the next time. She can wait so The previous Women's Spaces show was recorded on Monday, April 24th, 2023.